One thing I have come to learn is that as a culture, we love a good success story. We love wild transformations. We love weight loss. We love muscle gain. We love a company that goes from nothing in someone's garage into maybe world takeover. We love a good success story. And we love it even more when they grow healthy. But when they don't grow healthy, we love to sit back and just speculate at the dumpster fire that is taking place before us. We love it when they grow big, but they don't try to take over. And we love it especially when it benefits us, not just for entertainment purposes, but when our lives actually have something to gain from it. And so today, I want to look at a few success stories, a few stories of transformation I want to look at things that we are experiencing in our culture today, and then I want to point to where we're going to be at in the scripture this morning, and that is to God's kingdom. I think these first two, really, that's something that we've all experienced. It's something that we're all equally grateful for. And so the first big to small, or the first small to big story this morning is a little company by the name of YouTube. All right, anybody ever heard of YouTube? Okay. Uh, this right here, if you had like one of the original iPhones, this was the logo, the icon on your phone for YouTube. If you had an Android and you were outside of the Garden of Eden, well, then that's fine, but you didn't have this, okay? This is what OG iPhone users had. Uh, that's just a little history lesson for you there. YouTube was started by three former PayPal employees. They, they broke off. They set, the, set this thing up on their own, but YouTube was actually... It started off not as we know it today. It started off as a video dating service. Now, when they launched the website, they didn't, I guess, tell people, hey, this is just for video dating. And so videos just started being uploaded by the thousands and the thousands and the thousands until one year after they launched, they were so successful. They launched in 2005. In 2006, um, one year into business, Google purchased them for $1.65 billion dollars. You want to talk about explosive growth. All right, so you're hanging out with your three buddies, and you're coding a dating video website, and then a year later, you are purchased for $1.65 billion. That is absolutely insane growth. Today, YouTube has 2.7 billion logged-in monthly users. Okay, 2.7 billion logged in. That means the people that took the time to actually have an account um, to save their videos, uh, I'll watch this later, um, they can go back to it. That's not including people that just visit the website, that just watch the shorts, that just enjoy the glory of YouTube. 2.7 billion people have logins. So what did the growth of YouTube take? Three things that I can see. It took your views, it, right? My views. Look, I have way more YouTube views than you do. I bet. I spend way too much time on YouTube. Uh, that's how I'm so smart, okay? I got a doctorate from YouTube, all right? It also took advertisement dollars, a lot of advertisement dollars, to the point of today, you can't watch a video without getting at least three advertisements before, during, and after you watch it. And I never really understand why they put the advertisement after the video when you'll just skip that anyway, but hey, that's just me. It also took Google and Google's immense resources. Now, story number two today, uh, I'd like to just show this picture first. Um, I don't know if you know who this guy is, but I think you all actually know who this guy is. Born in 1947 in a little country called Austria, this guy started lifting at the age of 15. He won his first Mr. Universe amateur title at 
16 years old. 16 years old, this dude is winning amateur bodybuilding titles. From that point, he moved to California in 1968 at the age of 21 to train harder and win more competitions. From that point on, this mystery person right here won three Mr. Universe titles and then won six Mr. Olympias. All right, Mr. Universe is like, it's like the minor leagues for weightlifting, okay? It's like, hey, I want to lift a lot of weights, I want to look good, and I'm a big fan of body oil, okay? <laughs> Mr. Olympia, that's completely different. Now, all of a sudden, I really, really, really like to lift weights. I really, really, really like to have big muscles. I'm not just talking normal muscles. I'm talking about balloon animal-sized muscles. I really, really, really love protein shakes. I really, really, really love protein and supplements and maybe some other things. I really, really, really like to train hard. Then this guy, mystery person, retired, and a year later came back. Maybe he shot some movies. Maybe he didn't. Um, maybe he was looking for Sarah Connor the whole time. Maybe he wasn't. But he came back, and in 1980, he won another Mr. Olympia. Who is this person? No other than the governor of California. All right? <laughs> Guys, it was right next door, okay? Didn't even live here during that time. What did it take Arnold Schwarzenegger to go from 15-year-old Ar Arnold, still probably stronger than me, to um, this dude right here, Conan the Barbarian? Um, well, it took hard work, okay? It took the determination. It took motivation. It took every Asian, okay, except vacation. He did not take a single vacation, and it took a lot of baby oil, and it took a lot of steroids, okay? That's how you get that right there. But today, we are going to look at something that directly benefits, something that directly impacts us in our life, something that started small and like smaller than 15-year-old Arnold Schwarzenegger, and is going to grow bigger than Arnold could ever dream of being. In today's focus, we are talking about God's kingdom. We are talking about the kingdom of God, and I know some of you just got whiplash. We just went from Arnold Schwarzenegger to the kingdom of God, but we're a little ADD here at Asante Church, and that's how we roll. So we will be talking about the kingdom of God today, and this is something that has been in the works from the very, very beginning. This is something that started off small, but something that will inevitably grow into something unimaginably huge. But what does this take? What does the kingdom of God take to grow? One thing. One thing. It's something Google doesn't have control of. It's something Arnold can't lift. It's something you and I get to be a part of, but we don't actually have any say in its growth. It takes one thing, and that thing is God. That is it. So our main idea today, the point we really want to get across, is that the kingdom of God will grow by God's power, in God's timing, to all of God's people. If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open them to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 26 through 32, and we will dive in at verse 26. To some of you, this will sound familiar. From a few weeks ago, we'll take it even more in depth today. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Our first point this morning is that God will grow his kingdom. God will grow his kingdom. 
Now, we'll see later on today, Jesus preaches 39 parables throughout all of the Gospels. This parable right here is exclusive to Mark. The only place you are going to get Jesus preaching, teaching this story is right here in Mark chapter 4. We see that God will grow his kingdom. And the first subpoint that we have today is that kingdom growth is an absolute mystery. We see this in verses 26 through 27. So I think really when it comes to Jesus teaching and preaching these parables, it really helps us, at least it really helps me to figure out who is who, what is what, how does all of this stuff interact. And so let's start breaking this down. In the spiritual realm, in this parable, the sower is the evangelist. That is you and me. That is the people that are sharing the gospel. The seed that that sower is sowing is the gospel. And the good soil, flashback, are the hearers that receive the gospel. So, how does the kingdom grow? The kingdom grows by God. This is absolutely um, a major relief to me, and this is absolutely completely stressful to me as well. The kingdom grows by God. Simply put, God does not need us to grow his kingdom. And kingdom growth does not always, and I would say most often, never make sense to us as humans. Because God doesn't need us to grow his kingdom, because it's all on God, because kingdom growth doesn't make sense, what we see is that when it comes to kingdom growth, man, you could join a church, you could be a part of that church, and then you could leave that church. Whether God calls you elsewhere or because it's from a, a bad place of the heart, whether it's good or bad, you remove yourself from that church, or you are removed, or you transfer away from X church. And what happens? Attendance goes up. That's crazy. But once again, God doesn't need us. I could be removed from this church today, and attendance could go up 20%, 50% next week. Any one of us could be removed from this church today. And sometimes I think we get in this mindset in the flesh of, man, I work so hard for this church. I serve so hard in this church. Man, I give so much. This is all dependent on me, and it's absolutely not dependent on us. There is a blessing that we will receive in our faithfulness and our obedience, but God does not need any one person. God can accomplish it on his own. This means that you may stop serving at this church or another church, and God actually provides more workers for the harvest. This means that you may stop giving at this church or another church, and the offering actually goes up. It's a mystery, and it's something in my time, short time, as a lead pastor that I have seen over and over and over. There are stories here at Asante Church of a family leaving this church and, and me just crying in my hands at night thinking, man, God, how are you ever going to make up for this family moving to this place? God, how are you ever going to make up for this family and all that they brought to the table in this church, in the life of our church? And you know what? Every single time, God reminds me, I am your God. And I know you're going to miss that person. And I know you wish things would have gone different in this situation. But you know what? I am still on my throne. My kingdom is not shaken by their absence of attendance. It's not shaken by their absence of worship at your church, it's not shaken by their absence of service. It's not shaken by their absence in giving. Hey, Alex, I got you, man. And I've always had you. So keep looking to me. Stop looking to people to save you. Stop looking to people 
provide the things that only I can provide you. Because that's called idolatry. I am the Lord, your God. I will take care of you time after time after time again. What we also see in this is that man-made efforts take no effect when it comes to kingdom growth, when it comes to salvation, human ingenuity, emotional manipulation. Anybody ever been to church camp before? All right, you know what I'm talking about. You can play the right amount of chords, you can get enough people crying, you can pass around enough Kleenex boxes, and somebody's going to get saved. All right, you keep worship going long enough, somebody else is going to get saved. You get people in an emotional enough state, somebody is going to get saved. What this is saying is there are no man-centered techniques, no market-driven strategies that can create new life in the heart of a sinner. Regeneration for the new believer comes from the Holy Spirit alone. Now, that doesn't mean that we get ultra-Calvinist here and we just say God's going to save who he's going to save, and that's it. I don't need to go out. I don't need to do anything else. If you're wondering what Calvinist means, that's a little bit of a joke, all right? That means that God has predetermined who will get saved and who doesn't. I think I fall somewhere in the middle of predestination and free will, and that's called Molinism, and we don't have time to go into all that, but I think God's smart enough to predetermine everything and also work in our free will, so we're not robots worshiping him in the midst of all of it, but we don't give up just because we don't have a definitive part to play. I think what we need to realize is, is that the way God sewed everything together in this great tapestry of life is that he put things together to where you are the sole representative of the gospel. Maybe not sole, but more than likely in today's society and culture, you are the sole person to represent Jesus, to represent the true light, to bring the gospel into whatever situation that you are in. Whether that be your work, your family, your friendships. And so what do we do? Man, we share. Do your job as a believer. Be faithful. Be obedient. Share. And when you share, man, breathe deep. Right? Sit back. Take it all in. Watch God do his thing. This is where it is completely stress relieving, right? Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy, my burden is kind, and he will take ours. And when he takes ours, man, there's a sigh of relief. The salvation for this person in my life isn't on me. The salvation for this person on my life is solely on God and God alone, and he will call them. And so, if we're going to work, let's sit back and let's pray. After we proclaim, we rest, and then if we're going to do anything else, and let's get busy praying that God would use whatever situation he's put us in to bring salvation and kingdom growth in that situation. I think for a lot of us, this may be the hardest thing, right? This is the Sabbath aspect of the scripture today where we have to actually sit back and say, you know what, God, this isn't on me. This is out of my control. And I think we're a people, right? Again, we're the same people that didn't set New Year's resolutions. We're the same people that uh, don't know any of the sayings that are going on in culture today. That means we're probably the same people that take everything into our own hands and say, you know what, I need control over this. I need to feel like I am the person in charge because if this gets out of my control, I'm going to be a stressed out, anxious mess. And what God is saying here is you can spin those tires all you want but it's not going to do you any good. You be faithful. You be obedient. 
And when you share the gospel, when you scatter that seed, now it's time for you to go and get some rest. Go to sleep, take a nap, and when you come back out, you will see that growth has actually happened and none of that growth was actually on you. Now, I say these things, but it's also important for us to realize that God chooses to cooperate with us in the growth of his kingdom, all right? That does not mean that we deserve a role in his plans, but God chooses to invite us in on his story. So what we need to know is we can take God up on it or we can turn away from it. We need to know that God is full of grace, that we have free will to interact with the things that he brings before us, but we also have the free will to turn it down completely. But just know this, God will accomplish his will. You have the opportunity to be in on it, and I hope you would take him up on that adventure. It's always scary, but man, is it always worth it. It's a beautiful thing. It's a terrifying thing. But man, there is no life, there is no true life outside of it. So realize, man, God, I, I can take you up on this, but because God is sovereign and he will accomplish his will regardless, that he can replace us within that. Next thing we see is that kingdom growth is a slow-paced certainty. Kingdom growth is a slow-paced certainty. We see this verses 28 through 29. We see that the kingdom grows over time. It is not all at once. There was a hope in this Messiah. There was an expectation that the coming Messiah would instate a kingdom rule immediately. What the people were looking for in the time of Jesus, what his disciples would have been looking for was a conquering king. What they were searching for was an immediate relief. What they were expecting was a microwave kingdom. You put the popcorn in the microwave, you hit the popcorn button if you're crazy, or you can hit like a minute and you can just not burn that thing, and guess what? You got a bag of popcorn. Is that what they got? That's absolutely not what they got. Instead, they got a suffering servant. Instead, they got eternal relief that was slowly in the making. Instead, they got not a microwave kingdom, but a crockpot kingdom. Jesus seasoned that roast real good. He put it in there. The juices were there. He, he turned that thing on for like, like 2,000, at least 2,000 years so far, okay? It's the slowest cooking roast, but it's not going to be dry when he pulls it out, I promise. It's going to be real good. So for us, what do we do? Just trust the process. Trust the process that is put into place here. How did this seed grow? Well, first, it was scattered. Then, when the scatterer slept, a blade of grass popped up. Then an ear, then some grain, and then a harvest. I think as believers, especially today, we can get in, if you ever read the book, uh, The Tortoise and the Hare right? The rabbit's racing the hare. He's running fast. He's running fast. He's running fast. Uh, he, he takes a couple of adventures, a couple side quests, and eventually the, the turtle, the tortoise, he beats him because he's slow and steady. I think as the church, especially as the American church, we can have a hare mentality. I got to go fast. I got to work hard. I got to do everything I can do. I got to absolutely burn myself out. But that's not what the Lord is saying here. He's saying, hey, pace it out. Man, you're acting like the second coming's all on you. If it was all on you, second coming would never happen. This is all on God. So let's trust him. Let's trust the process that he has put into place. 
in my experience with the process of kingdom growth and in the process of, of submitting my life to God's will and pursuing that at all costs is that it is never fast. That seed planting and nurturing and growth take a lot of time. I think a lot of times it's seasonal. You'll see a lot of growth in a season and you'll see somebody that you have poured into, poured into, poured into, poured into start to backtrack. But then the season changes again. You pour into them. You keep pouring into them. It's like, man, it's just not taking. And then all of a sudden, it's like it clicks again. And you start to see some more growth. I know for myself in particular, kingdom growth in my life took a lot of time. It took years and years and years. And it took a lot of people. Paul kind of references this as he's writing the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 3, 6. It says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. I think in all of this, we have to realize that we are in direct partnership with God, and we need to stay in partnership with him when it comes to kingdom growth in the lives around us, when it comes to discipleship of those that we love in the lives around us. For me, it was a student pastor who took some time on a fifth grader who he wasn't even supposed to talk to until he was in sixth grade, took me under his wing, showed me the love of Jesus, explained the gospel to me, and I experienced it for the first time in an incredible way. It was a pastor that put him in place who took me aside as well. It was leaders who that student pastor put into place who poured into my life season after season after season. And then I went to Bible college, and it was professors that poured into my life semester after semester after semester after semester. It took me eight years to get a bachelor's degree, all right? Most people can get a doctorate in that time. After semester after semester, they just kept loving me. There was a lot of grace. They kept pouring into my life. It took a lot of time. It took a lot of seasons. What I've noticed in kingdom growth is that it is hardly ever spectacular, but it is always sure. The process isn't in our time, but it is always on God's time. And we may not do the the saving of that person's soul, but man, when that person gives their life to Jesus, you bet that it is our job to do the celebrating every single day time. Know this, God grows his church, the people, and he's got it taken care of. Next set of scripture, Mark 40, I'm sorry, Mark 4, verses 30. Y'all thought we just skipped a couple months ahead. (laughs) Verses 30 through 32, and he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all of the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Point number two today, God's kingdom will start small and grow big. God's kingdom will start small and grow big. What we see in verses 30 through 31, is that God's kingdom will grow exponentially. In verse 31, it starts as a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all the seeds. It's renowned in Palestine for just how small it is. But this tiny seed, if you are riding with a pen this morning, this seed is not much bigger than the ballpoint tip of your pen. This thing is absolutely tiny. But when we look at exponential growth, the mustard seed grows into a bush as large as sometimes three foot, all the way up to 12 feet large. Same is true for the kingdom. 
The kingdom grows gradually, but the kingdom of God grows remarkably. What starts small grows into something that ends up unfathomably, that's a big word, all right, unfathomably big. That is exactly what the kingdom does in our world. Look at Jesus' first coming. The kingdom was small, small like a mustard seed. Upon his death, ushering in the kingdom, and through his death, burial, and resurrection, the kingdom began to grow through his people. When Jesus returns, his kingdom will be revealed and instated in full, from a tiny seed to fully grown. What we see of the kingdom as it is displayed in the world and as it grows in us is that we have to really look at our lives. Remember, it is slow, gradual growth. So when we look at our lives, look back to the place where you began with Jesus. Think back to the place that was childlike faith. And then think of all the situations he's brought you through. Think of all the sermons, all the Bible studies, all the sessions of devotion that you've given to him, that he has used to grow you. And think of how that childlike faith has grown exponentially. You started off as a seed that was cared for, a seed that was tended to, a soil that God prepared, and a seed that God watered through others. And for so many of you, look where you are now. You're not the same little seed that you were when we first met. God is doing exponentially big growth in your life. And so, as we grow spiritually, and as we show that outwardly, the kingdom is displayed all around us. And that is something that we need to keep in mind. Look, our lives are devoted to this concept on earth as it is in heaven. And when kingdom growth is displayed in our life, that is exactly what happens. And so for us as a church, we keep growing in the Lord. We keep growing away from the point of just being a mustard seed into something that gets exponentially bigger. And we keep seeing the kingdom expand all around us. I took some time this week to really try to work through this. God, what have I seen you do in the last three years of having worship services at this church? God, what are the stories that I have seen happen right before my eyes? And there have been so many of them that I just lose track over time. And so I really took some time. I took about 45 minutes, and I sat there, and I thought through every single thing that I have seen. And there is no way that I could share all of this on a Sunday morning, because uh, a lot of you would get embarrassed. There's no way I could ask for permission to share all these stories, because that would take me two weeks. And so I have summed this up into this, that we have gone from con consumers to producers, that we have gone from worshipers only to serving like Jesus, that we as a church have gone from living in isolation to living in community, that we have gone from living for ourselves to living generously and living open-handed to the mission of God and Christ's bride, the church. That We have gone from just residents in a neighborhood to having a heart for our community, from people that life happens to to people that intentionally engage in life, from parents grandparents, students, retirees, co-workers, and friends wandering aimlessly to being missionaries for the gospel wherever God has placed us. 
And that happens a lot of times, hard situation after hard situation. Tough times that bring growth. It happens through good times and saying, God, this is good. And I look to you and I praise you for it. And that year in and year out, season after season. Now, when we opened this thing up, we talked about YouTube. We talked about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, I saved one. I held one back, okay? We need to take a little bit of a commercial break here. When we look at things that grow from something tiny, as small as a mustard seed, into something that is exponentially larger, I think there's no other person uh, that we can look to their career and really them really struggling through it than this woman right here. I don't, do you, I don't know, I'm not sure if you know her. Um, her name is Taylor Swift, um, also known as T-Swizzle on the streets, Okay. Um, this, this young woman, um, born in 1989, it's a great year. Um, I only know that because that's one of her albums, okay? I'm not a stalker, all right? Um, look, she really struggled through the country music industry for a lot of years. She only probably won like one Grammy or so a year. Um, it was, it was so bad that she had to switch over to the pop genre, okay? And she only won a few thousand more Grammys there, um, artist of the year. Her, her career, um, it's really just been based around a bunch of 12-year-old girls, um, but she's really broadened her horizon recently. Um, and so we've been looking at, you know, here are all, this, all the points of success in this person's life, and really there's only one point of success um, that really took Taylor Swift from just being like a struggling, starving artist into the, um, the booming pop, honestly, world influence that she is today, and that is, uh, that is this man right here. Uh, Travis Kelsey. Yeah, yeah. I'm very generous of him um, to take her under his wing. I, honestly, just to, to be her boyfriend, um, there's, I'm sure there weren't many people trying to do that, but he did, um, and we're, we're super thankful for him. You want to talk about growth, um, pretty big deal right there. She's going to be at his football game today. Um, we're not going to cheer for any of those teams, but just so you know. And, okay, so we're not cheering for any of those teams, but all right. We dive back in. Verse 32. All right. Like I said, that was a commercial break. Verse 32, we see that kingdom growth brings blessings. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Now, it grows big. It has large branches. These branches put out shades. The birds, they build nests in that shade. They take rest in that shade. Um, there are four thoughts from different schools of thought here. Uh, four thoughts on what these birds actually represent. Um, the first is that these birds represent Satan, okay? Because you go back all the way to Mark 4, chap chapter 4, verse 4, um, where the birds would come up and they would pick the seeds and they would fly away. Um, I would say that's not the case here because this is a different parable, different usage of the birds here. Um, idea number two is that they represent, the, they represent shelter for kingdom citizens. Uh, idea number three uh, is that at the full coming of the kingdom, is that the nations would be welcomed in. There are supporting verses for this throughout the Old Testament. Psalm 104, 12, beside them the birds of heaven dwell. They sing among the branches. Ezekiel 17, 23, on the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches, uh, birds of every sort will rest. And then Ezekiel 31, 6, all the birds of the heavens made their nest in its boughs. 
Under its branches, all the beasts of the field gave birth to their young, and under its shadow lived great nations. Then there's a fourth idea. And that fourth idea is that these birds mean absolutely nothing at all. They're just an unused element in the story. I don't really hold to that idea. I don't think Jesus wastes his breath when he's telling a story. I think everything has meaning to it. Here's what I believe that this could be. I think it could be two and three. I think there are certainly benefits for idea number two is that they represent shelter for kingdom citizens because there are certainly benefits of true rest for kingdom citizens, followers of Jesus when it comes to kingdom growth. Again, going back to the first parable we looked at today, we sow the seed, God does the work. But if I had to pick one, I would definitely go with number three. This is the coming of the kingdom in full. This is all of the nations entering in to God's kingdom. The entirety of the world that puts their faith in Jesus, not just Jew, but Gentile as well, will be ushered in when Jesus returns. That is something that goes from something so tiny, so small, just Jesus, and then Jesus and 12 men, from 12 men to so many disciples, to something that all of the nations will enter into. And then we close it out. Mark chapter 4, verses 33 through 34. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Third and final point this morning is that the kingdom of God is worth understanding. The kingdom of God is worth understanding. Verse 33, it is worth paying attention to. What we see here is that Jesus ends the fourth of his parables in Mark. That again, across Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus uses 39 parables to teach. And what we see is the more that Jesus uses these parables to teach, they either get clear to the people that are hearing them as he explains them, or they get more obscure. And what that completely decides on is the, uh, the heart of that person that is hearing it. So, what we have to ask ourselves is, are we paying attention to the things of the kingdom in our lives? What is our heart's position? Are we trusting in God's power to grow God's kingdom? Are we trusting in God's timing to grow God's kingdom? And are we trusting in him to save those around us, not just those around us, but the entirety of the world and the nations? Those that have ears to hear, let them hear. Going right into verse 34, and that is that it is worth careful explanation. Jesus has made this statement. Let those who have ears to hear, hear ten times already in chapter 4. At one point last week, he demanded our attention by straight up saying, pay attention to this. So to those that are his followers, he longs for them to understand all that he is teaching. Jesus wants us to understand his kingdom. He wants us to understand the role that he plays, that the word plays in bringing the kingdom in our lives. So once again, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God will grow by God's power in God's timing to all of God's people. That is a promise. That is something that we can rest in. So how do we put an application? How is it that we are to be the church and display the kingdom? We do just that. We trust that the kingdom grows automatically 
It's in God's hands. We embrace that the kingdom grows slowly and probably not at a pace in which we are ever going to be comfortable with. Something that will seem like it's grinding to a halt, but it is slow and it is steady. We have ears to hear. We keep the kingdom growing in us. We take it to those around us. Let's pray for that now.